it helped me shift my thinking from, okay, I failed at a home birth to I succeeded in bringing my son where like he was supposed to be. He was supposed to be at this Palestinian hospital in the middle of a war, <laughs> in the NICU, <laughs> with no kosher food. <laughs> Giving birth is one of the most significant events of your life. Sadly, the joy that you should feel can often be replaced with anxiety and helplessness instead. As a labor and delivery nurse, I'm revealing insider information to educate you, reassure you, and decrease your fear. In this podcast, you'll hear empowering birth stories and experts weigh in on a range of topics. Being Jewish also has me exploring Judaism's influence on the reproductive experience. However, I speak to anyone wishing to navigate their journey with more joy and confidence. I'm your host, Hani Fingerer, and you're listening to the Happy Birthway Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Happy Birthway Podcast. Friends, I hope that you are all doing well and getting ready to hunker down for the winter for those of you living in areas where winter is fast approaching. I cannot believe that it's already November and that there are menorahs and dreidels being sold in the stores right now. And if you would please rate and review this podcast if you are enjoying it, and if you would please share it with just one friend and subscribe or follow on whichever app you are listening to. It really means a lot to me when you do so. I read every single review and it just fuels me to continue doing this work. It's such a huge passion of mine. Sometimes it can get a little discouraging when I see other podcasts like topping the charts and they barely just launched. Uh, granted, most of them are launched by some famous people with other platforms, but I'm really trying to get more exposure and get it out there and help more people and allow more people to enjoy and gain from what this podcast has to offer. So please, I appeal to you to rate and review. And you can only do that on Apple Podcasts, not on any other platforms. And even if you listen to this podcast on other platforms like Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever it may be, if you have an Apple account, if you can just quickly stop by, drop by over there and even just rate it, like just hit the five stars, fewer stars, if you truly believe that there's any way that I can improve. And if that's so, then please put that down in the review. I read the reviews. So I would love to know what your opinions are. And with that said, Today, I am so excited to introduce to you Simcha Shar, and we are going to listen to her birth story. She has one sweet little baby boy. I found her on Instagram uh, toward the beginning of when I started my account, and I just love following her and her just personal journey, diary, um, and you just, you have such beauty and so many beautiful thoughts and values that I love so much. And we connected a little bit over Instagram and it was just so beautiful to follow your journey into having your first baby. Before we start the interview, I wanted to let you know about a great new course for preteen girls called Girls Growing Up. 
Let's be real, many mothers have a hard time talking to their daughters about puberty. Well, Dr. Alyssa Hellman, who's a girl mom and an orthodox gynecologist, has you covered. She designed this course, which is designed to be understood by preteen girls and watched with or without their mothers. It covers the Torah perspective, anatomy definitions and diagrams with helpful explanations to prepare young girls for the changes of puberty, all in an easy-to-understand, comfortable way. You can sign up at theconfidentkala.com or through Dr. Hellman's Instagram page at theconfidentkala. So welcome to the show, Yay. Simcha. Yay, thank you so much. And on Instagram, you are a gentle Jew. Try to be gentle. <laughs> yes, yes, you are definitely very calming and serene. So let's have you start where you feel is the beginning of mm. your birth journey. For some people, that's getting pregnant. For other people, it's even before that. Wow. I'm so honored to be here, and I feel like just very Mishamayim, very Hashkacha Pratis to have this. I don't think I've shared with anyone much about my birth story or my pregnancy experience or my postpartum experience, and I know how important it is for me to talk about it, and this is kind of a kick in the butt to do it, so I'm really excited. Yeah. This this pregnancy started in a really scary place for me. I had, it was on Rosh Hashanah, and I was staying, it was the middle of COVID, and I was staying in my parents' extra space with my husband, because we'd sold our house, and we were desperately trying to get back into Israel, and I was having the worst period pain I've ever had, Mm -hmm. and I said to my husband, it's not that I'm not uncomfortable, I'm very comfortable with pain, I just want to know what this is and I was really freaked out and I went to the I went to the doctor right afterwards because it was right after Rosh Hashanah I took a bunch of Advil and I arrived at the doctors and they said is there any chance you're pregnant and I said no (laughs) because I was not trying to get pregnant um and they did a test anyway And the nurse came out. I was sitting in a waiting room with a bunch of people. And she bent down next to me and said, come back with me. And she was so gentle. She was such a messenger. I was so vulnerable in that moment. I was in a lot of pain. And she said, you're pregnant and you need to get a um, ultrasound right away because we think it's an ectopic pregnancy and that's why you're in so much pain. And so if you've ever met me, most classic Simcha, my phone was dead. And so I couldn't even reach out to my husband. And I was just crumbling. I was a mess. And I asked the front desk if I could use their phone. And they were so kind to me. And they said yes. And my husband came. And I was just in tears. I was embarrassed. And I was really scared. I did not know what a topic pregnancy meant. It sounded scary. I did not know what it to think about feeling pregnant. And so then after hearing that I was pregnant and it might be ectopic, I went to the hospital. It was a pretty bad experience. They refused to tell me if it was ectopic or not because they weren't my doctor. They just like hid behind some bureaucratic thing. And yeah. and I I was so overwhelmed and and it was so early in the pregnancy that they couldn't even tell me anything. They were like, we don't see anything, but you are pregnant. So medically, I was just confused um, and scared. 
So to backtrack, an ectopic pregnancy, did they explain to you what that was? They said it's like when your pregnancy gets in a tube or something. Right. So what happens is, is when the egg is fertilized by the sperm and turns into an embryo, there is some time and it has to travel through what's called your fallopian tube, which is next to your ovary. It has to travel through that fallopian tube. So it's like a journey into your uterus and the embryo needs to implant in your uterus. What happens with an ectopic pregnancy is that the embryo implants in the fallopian tube that it is traveling through. The reason why that's so scary and dangerous and life-threatening is because the fallopian tube can get damaged and burst and infection. So it is an emergency situation. Um, And one of the symptoms is cramping like you were having. So I guess that was the first thing that they needed to rule out. And it's so hard with, like you said, these bureaucratic processes where you go get an ultrasound and the person that's doing it is an ultrasound tech, not a doctor. So they cannot even say anything, even though they know a lot of times what's going on. So yeah, that's, that's so, so hard. But Mm -hmm. um, they likely also saw on labs that you were pregnant, but it was probably way too early on in the game for them to even like see a heartbeat is what I'm presuming. Exactly. So I think I felt that sense of urgency and fear around what could be happening without a lot of education and a lot of sense of what the future looked like. I left the hospital. It was so scary. I left the hospital in tears, not knowing am I pregnant And that's one path for my mind and body to go on. Or am I having an ectopic pregnancy, which is another path for my mind and body to go on. And I got a call from my doctor and she said, you're pregnant. It's not ectopic. um, And it's likely just implantation pain, which made sense because the pain was going away. Oh, good. Yeah. Some people can experience that. So what a shock. Like so much to process at once. Not only are you pregnant, but now... They're not sure if you have some life-threatening something, and then they're not sure if you're even pregnant. Yes, it was not an easy way to flow into pregnancy, and I had a rough pregnancy. I wrote about it on Instagram a lot afterward about how much pregnancy felt um, like an earth element. It was so slow and staying and never changing, And I'm a really fast-moving, fiery person, so I found pregnancy very challenging. It was just a never-ending slew of discomforts from (laughs) nausea to not sleeping, whatever. It was not pleasant, and slowly slowly throughout the pregnancy, it became more manageable. So halfway through my pregnancy, I moved to Israel, and readjusting to a whole new medical system, trying to find a midwife. And the background here is that I'm a trained doula and I really came into the birth experience from that, I'm not sure what the word for is it, but like from that enlightened mentality about birth, this idea about birth, reading all the books, very peaceful with a very specific philosophy around birth one that is centered on a woman's power in birth. 
So a positive experience versus some people know nothing about birth or they just hear some horror stories. They hear their mothers, aunts, and women around them talk about how scary and painful it is. And they come in with that perspective. And you came in already knowing the process um, and having a very positive perspective around it. Yes. And I think for many women coming from that traumatized view of birth, it's really important to get some of these positive messages. For me... I came in with so much sense of my own power in birth, and I think birth humbled me deeply. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I thought I could will my way through my birth. I thought I could breathe my way through my birth. I thought I could think my way through my birth or mantra my way through my birth. And Hashem really showed up. And... There was this other element. It wasn't just me. It was also about the birth that I was gifted from Hashem. And it was very different than what I imagined it would be. And really humbled me and forced me to confront some of my conceptions about birth. I planned a home birth with a home birth midwife. And ultimately I ended up in a hospital and with my son in the NICU. So it was a really just not what I thought was going to happen. Yeah. Not what I thought was going to happen. Yeah. In some ways for me, that preparation around birth was harmful because it created a specific image of what birth looked like. And that set me up to not listen to my inner voice And she was really strong and clear. And she said, after two days of constant contractions and no progress and no sleep, I need to go to the hospital. I need relief. And it took another 12 hours to really listen to that inner voice. And I, that's like my only regret is that it was clear for me that I wanted to be done and I had no koach left. And I just didn't listen to her. I allowed my image of what birth was supposed to be to kind of trump that inner voice. And I think I was shocked that that is what my inner voice said. I always expected her to say, you can do it or, um, you know, whatever mantra. But she was right. You know, she was right. I needed to go to the hospital. Yeah. Wow. I think it's so important, like you're emphasizing, to have that view of birth in moderation. So while birth is positive, everyone needs to birth in a very unique way mm-hmm. and not set your expectations to be just exactly rigidly one way. My question to you is, is when you were having those contractions and that pain and discomfort for those two days, was your midwife involved at all in that? She was very involved And I really respect her and, like, think she's an amazing person. And I think um, I needed a different approach. Afterwards, I shared with another midwife friend of mine, and she said, there's kind of this theory of midwifery, of home midwifery. There's, like, two theories. I don't know this. I don't know if this is true. But that, like... There's like a sit and knit theory where they kind of like sit on the couch and knit. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. And then there's like a more like proactive involved. And I think I needed more proactive involved. Like a few times I asked, what's going to happen next? 
Like, I, I need to know what's going to happen. And she was like, oh, it's so normal to want to know that. But I actually wanted her to tell me what was going to happen. Like, <laughs> if you don't feel better in the next two hours, we're going to go to the hospital. Or if you don't get to X by this time, you know, I've, I think I felt really lost and really overwhelmed. I was in a lot of pain for a lot of hours. And, you know, if I had given birth in those two days, I would have said, I had this amazing home birth experience. But that's not what happened. You know, I didn't give birth in those two days. And I... I needed to go to the hospital. This really underlines the importance of vibing with whatever provider you have. And everyone has such a different need, but there is certainly a very important need for chemistry with your provider. And yeah. it's trial and error a lot of times, yeah. you know, so, so now, you know, now that you've given birth once, you know what you need. And this yes. is a message to anyone that's using a provider that just doesn't feel like they're the right chemistry for them, you know, to be able to look elsewhere. Exactly. Yes. And I think this was really learning for me. Like, wow, it was just such a crazy experience. So, okay. So we decided to go to the hospital. This drive to the hospital was like the worst hour of my life. (laughs) I, (laughs) I live in the middle of the West Bank. I live in Tekoa. And we were driving in the middle of a war in Israel. And it was all centered on this place called Sheikh Jarrah, right? Sheikh Jarrah, Sheikh Jarrah. It was all over. It was trending on Twitter and on Instagram. And I was driving to Sheikh Jarrah to give birth in the Palestinian hospital because oh my, my water had broken a long time ago. And we knew this was a blessing of having a midwife. She knew that if we went to a certain hospital, they would have certain timelines around that water breaking, mm. which totally makes sense. But this other hospital is a little more lenient, and unless I'd shown signs of infection, they would be willing to let me progress with a vaginal birth. And so we went to this Palestinian hospital. On the way, my oh midwife... Oh, my gosh. Isn't that crazy? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Did your midwife have privileges in any hospital, or was she there kind of as a, as a support? She was there as a support, but definitely directed things. She, I don't think in Israel that you can kind of like have privileges. Like, I don't know if it works that way. She basically acted as a, as a doula once we got there. Um, okay, so we're driving and she calls the head of the hospital. It's called St. Joseph's. And she says, you know, we're in the middle of one of the most violent periods right now. And we're driving as a hair covering Jew from the West Bank into this hospital. And... The amazing nun who runs the hospital said, it's safe. You can come here. It's totally safe. So we get into that hospital. And the first thing I said is like, I want an epidural. I literally told my midwife, please tell them on the phone to prepare. Like (laughs) nobody knows how to advocate for themselves in a hospital better than me. I have had chronic illness my whole life. And I know, I know how to show up in a hospital. So I thought in preparing for my birth that this would not, it wouldn't be good for me to be in a hospital because I have a lot of trauma from my time in a hospital, but this ended up being the most healing experience being in this hospital. I felt so cared for the nurses. I could cry. They were so, so deeply supportive and present for me. The NICU where my son was, I felt Literally, they were so good to me. I felt that his NICU stay was a blessing because I had such an incredible experience with the nurses and the doctors at the NICU. And what started as like a pretty horrific experience for me in my birth, just like two days of nonstop pain, 
became really healing. Being in that hospital, speaking bad Arabic, my husband trying to translate <laughs> Arabic to English. <laughs> wow. Wow. It was wild. It was wild. <sighs> that is such a cool thing to hear. It was so wild. Giving birth in, in a Palestinian hospital. Did they give you problems getting over the border? Okay, so this Palestinian hospital is in Israel. So technically, Israeli citizens can go and Palestinian mm. Israelis can go. So mm. that wasn't an issue, but it was a really like in- incredible cultural experience to be treated by Christian Palestinian doctors and Arab Palestinian doctors and to kind of have this chance to peek into their lives and them into our life, you know, on the side of learning how to breastfeed or understanding what was happening to my son in the NICU. We would whisper questions like, why does some of the women cover their hair this way and some of them cover this way? Or, you know, what does it mean that your husband wears a hat and not a kippa? So it was like this really powerful cultural exchange happening during one of the most vulnerable moments of our lives. Wow. And that is the beauty of healthcare. Yes. You know, as a, as a nurse, I have to care for everyone because everyone is a human being, regardless of any choices that they've made in their life, free of judgment. Yes. And we have this in Israel all the time with the cultural, huge cultural mix of so many different religions and philosophies and ethnicities all mixing together and all just joining in unity to give people medical care. Yes. So this is this is like a a beautiful example of that. Yes, I felt that and I felt the nurses had that in mind. I would say like the one part of my birth story that I wish everyone knew or wish I had heard was I was pushing for a long time without guidance and that really wasn't working for me. Obviously, I'm, I'm sure for many people that's great, but I needed directed pushing and it was transformative. This doctor came in, literally like no introduction, but I didn't care. I needed to get this baby out. It had been so long. He just pushed his hand up there and looked at me and he said, you're doing a bad job pushing <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to show you what to do. And I was like, yes, this is what I need. He was so cocky, but it was great. I And he would say... I had been pushing before, like the difference between black and white. And he had a variance of a thousand. He said, you're pushing 782 and I want you to push 781. Push down a little more, to the left a little more. Like it was so guided and specific. And I loved that clarity of direction. And once I had that, it was wonderful. That was that was amazing having that level of like guidance pushing. I really liked. I'm curious, is that like typical? I think that there are different schools of thought, and I feel like there are a lot of strong opinions around that. And I find that the patient needs to decide for themselves. The birther needs to decide for themselves what what is working best for them, and yeah. it's important to keep an open mind. So clearly that's the way that worked for you. And I'll have patients that are pushing in one way and I maybe are not being very effective with their pushing and I will offer them another way and we'll see what works better for them. You're amazing. Anyone who births with you is so lucky. Oh, thank you. That's, 
that's very sweet. I think a lot of you know birth workers are are really incredible. Yeah. And I'm happy that you had good birth workers. Now, when you were pushing, when you were in labor, did you know, did you have any hints that your baby was going to have to go to the NICU? I think if I had been, had any cognitive capabilities I might have, I was so spent and such a mess that I was not tapped into that. Um, the staff didn't tell you that there's a possibility. No, I knew that they were like, you need to push this baby out because like some oxygen levels were mm -hmm. decreasing. This is when I would like pull my husband in to be like, wait, what happened? I like mm -hmm. don't really remember. Mm -hmm. But it had also I had been in labor and had broke had a, my waters broken for three days. So mm -hmm. I think also I was three weeks early. And he had been measuring small, very small, the whole pregnancy. So mm -hmm. I think all those combined factors, my sister's a NICU nurse, and she said, look, like, basically he was on a CPAP um, mm -hmm. for 48 hours, and that was all. Um, so he just had a little bit of, he needed some help with uh, breathing. Yes, this was the most memorable moment of my birth. The baby comes out, and he's whisked next to me, and there are three doctors standing there. And I was in shock, and my husband was standing next to the baby. And I said, what's going on? My husband said, the baby's having a hard time breathing. <laughs> so beautiful. And the doctor said, he's not having a hard time. He's working very hard. And it's just like, that was such a life-changing way to think about things. Like, he's just working really hard. <laughs> like... I didn't struggle in my labor. I just worked really hard. This is such a beautiful way to think about all of our work in this world. Like, he's just working really hard. He's not struggling, Yessie. He's working really hard. Wow. <laughs> so beautiful. And and from a medical perspective, that's so accurate. That's That's really so accurate because... It sounds like, you know, it sounds like it was TTN, which is called transient tachypnea of the neonate, which is basically tachypnea means fast breathing. So it's a signal that the baby is working really hard to breathe. And the response to that is breathing extra fast. So yeah. that's medically so accurate, too. But the messaging, the just the little change of words yeah. is really, I can see how that can be so much more encouraging yes. and beautiful he was working hard he was working hard i'm so proud of him <laughs> he's so beautiful yeah he was determined he was so determined and he did great and and i have to say like i don't know having him there was a real blessing and you know i think now like that shemerly sent that message through me that said like you need to go to the hospital because he needed care and so it helped me shift my thinking from okay I failed at a home birth to I succeeded in bringing my son where like he was supposed to be and he was supposed to be at this Palestinian hospital in the middle of a war in the oh NICU <laughs> wow. with no kosher food <laughs> oh my gosh oh my gosh in Israel of all places with no kosher food 
Oh my God, I know. It was on Shavuos. And so everything was closed. And the Palestinian doctors kept being like, just call and order. We'll reimburse you for whatever you order. We're like, everywhere is closed, brother. (laughs) (laughs) So right after the birth, was he able to hang with you for a little? Or did they kind of just whisk him emergently to the NICU? This was an interesting moment. They put him on me for maybe two seconds. I think almost felt like a formality. You know, like, we've got to put him on her, and then we're going to take him over to the station to help him breathe. And afterwards, I heard my care provider say, you know, kind of pissed off, like, how the heck did they do that? Like, if they could have, because they weighed him also. Mm -hmm. She said if they could have weighed him, they could have waited for that and given the mother a minute to be with the baby. And it was really interesting because I did not feel that. I felt fine about what had happened. And it was an interesting moment where I felt like, it wasn't her place to like analyze whether it was good or bad. And it, I felt like it was fine, you know? Well, certainly not to do it in front of you. Right. It's like, it's like, okay, you, let's say, you know, someone had a C-section and it wasn't necessary, but they have this great narrative about it. So you don't need to tell them that maybe the provider did something that was unnecessary if they have a good narrative so right you're so right and i'm faced with that dilemma sometimes on occasion there's a provider that is not following the best the gold standard of care and i never ever make a patient feel distrust in their provider they need to feel confident in their provider there's no switching providers right now and i can do what i can do in order to ensure that they get the best standard of care but you know Birth is not black and white. And like you said, you don't want to make the patient start questioning things about their provider and develop that level of distrust. After the fact, if they have questions, then they can discuss it with their provider or whoever else. But yes, that's, that's really, really important. So I'm sorry you had that. Yeah, and it's a really high level that you're talking about because it means letting go of or subverting like a certain level of truth, right? Like, well, the truth is this should happen for a higher level of truth, which is that this is what is happening. And how can we, you know, just hold space for that being okay? Yeah. So I think that it's amazing that your birth completely veered off the path that you were expecting it to take. And it was not easy to be in labor for so long, to have that pain for so long, to have that exhaustion for so long, to have your baby be born and need to go to the NICU uh, to help his hard work of breathing. And yet you came out with positive feelings about the whole thing. That was very important to me. I've listened to many a birth story. I've listened to your podcast and I watch all of your stories and I feel like the greatest thing I've learned is that so much of about it is, is our perspective about it. And, you know, you could have a home birth or a hospital birth, a C-section. It's really about, like, the framing. And I think that was enabled because I received loving care at the hospital. I received such loving care. And just I just felt so attended to and so cared for and... And I felt really trusting in my providers. And it was incredible. It was an incredible hospital experience. And really, as I said, a tikkun, a healing for, you know, hospitals can be really traumatic places and not a place where full beings are loved and held and 
I think the birthing ward is a special place to heal those who have had hard hospital experiences and has that potential to to heal to heal that hospital trauma. Yes, it has the potential, I think, to go either way, uh, to either extremes. And it's so beautiful to hear that yeah. it, it did this for you. And um, I just wanted to backtrack when you said your baby got CPAP, uh, mm -hmm. just from a technical standpoint, uh, to explain what CPAP is. CPAP is basically when the baby takes a breath, it just forces extra pressure, extra air into the baby's lungs. So it, it's kind of like just an assistance to help his hard work of breathing. Um, so it's not actually, you know, giving him breaths or anything like that. It's just allowing him to take in extra air. That's helpful to know. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah. And that way he has to work less hard and he can conserve energy that way. Now I know. I, I really am glad. I, this is very educational for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. What a miracle. Yeah. So then you went home. You were discharged. Yes. It's hard. I, you know, I, I wish I could paint a brighter picture of birth and postpartum, but I think I just have to be honest about my experience and trust that Hashem will bring these to the, to the right ears who need to hear this. But I had a very challenging emotional postpartum. I had a wonderful physical postpartum. I tore in every possible direction and I did not hurt at all. I don't know why. <laughs> Thank you, Hashem. My body felt fine. And emotionally, I was really a mess. And I was very anxious. I did not have any depressive experiences, but I was filled with anxiety. It was not the kind of anxiety that you can meditate through. It was not the kind of anxiety you can take a shower and it passes. It was like in my body. And it was so heavy and so intense. And I'm really good at taking care of myself and making sure I get my needs met. So I quickly, very quickly, made an appointment with a psychiatrist made an appointment with a doctor and just said, I don't want to suffer. I don't want to suffer. And honestly, I'd been putting off taking low-dose anxiety medications for years. I had been facing it like the choice to take anti-anxiety medications always felt shameful. And I know how silly that sounds, but it did. It felt like, you know, I, I'm not strong enough. I don't have the skills. I didn't meditate enough today. And I'm just so thankful for the postpartum I had because it felt like death at the time, but it was like momish a birth of me as the person I was supposed to be because that straw that broke the camel's back of postpartum anxiety helped me get on anxiety medications. And I'm like the happiest mom I've ever met now. Wow. I love it now. <laughs> Do you think that part of the trigger for you actually finally getting that help was that now you also had a child that you were responsible for and you wanted the best for? Yeah, I think that sounds amazing and I wish that was the reason, but I think it just felt so bad. I just felt so bad and I was not functioning. Like, I just... Getting through the day was so hard. 
And it's funny, I can't even think of, of how or why now, because it was so physical and visceral. It wasn't like I was having some bad thoughts about him or anything. I just, like, my body was really sick with anxiety and was probably triggered by hormones and, you know, mm-hmm. compounded on my existing like low level constant anxiety like hello ashkenazi jew Jew, like very anxious (laughs) but now i look you know what i'm like the proselytizer of taking these type of you know ssris lotus anxiety medications because i just why did i suffer for so long you know it was like really a blessing in my postpartum to get these but i feel better than i've ever felt i have less anxiety than i've ever felt I didn't realize how hard I was working to just feel okay. And now I feel wonderful and I don't wake up to a constant mental stress chatter. I just wake up. And birth is known, you know, the postpartum period is known to awaken and to trigger some dormant stress and anxiety that's there. Like Mm -hmm. you said, just like a, a low level, lower level anxiety I think most mothers experience what I call mama bear syndrome. I've seen it. I've seen it referred to that since, but I coined the term myself, like just <laughs> in my head, you know, also. So I guess there are some other brilliant minds out there like me. <laughs> um, so I think it comes from evolutionary sources of you want to protect your offspring. It's a natural reaction of any totally. mammal, of any human. And you like I remember having my first baby I went to my parents house and I got up in the middle of the night and started like woke up my father and said are the smoke detectors working like stupid random things that just popped into my head so I think that like you said hormonally I suspect that there's probably some component of triggering a a certain level of anxiety for the well-being of your offspring and I, this is again, so hypothetical, like this is what my theory is, but my theory is, is it can propel a lot of other dormant anxiety that's already been there. Yeah. I think for me, because there is so much stigma and shame around taking medicine, I feel like I need to compensate by being really loud and proud about it and really like normalizing, um, I'm really grateful to live in a community that's super real. And I was just surrounded by tons of young mothers who were all honest about what they had been through. Many of them had taken medicine and that's what I needed. And I'm so grateful to my like community. tribe. Yeah, my tribe. Like I really have a tribe here and it's such a blessing. Like I think about people who give birth kind of anonymously in cities and they don't know their neighbors and how hard that is. And here, like, you know, I had a call the other day at work and I didn't have childcare. So I just brought love to my neighbor and how much that changed the landscape of my postpartum experience. And, and honestly, how transformative taking medicine is like, geez, Louise, I feel so much better. It's priceless, priceless to have a community, to be living in a supportive community. There's, nothing like it out there and as evidenced by your experiences had tremendous impact on helping you get better yes it took so many women telling me that they had been through the same thing it took 
so many daily reminders that it was okay to take medicine for me to be brave enough to use this tool that I had been neglecting. And now that I have this tool, every other tool in my tool bag is more accessible. Like meditation is more accessible and therapy is more helpful. But it really took the neighbor to my right and to my left and above and below to all tell me that it was okay and to talk about the dosages they were on and talk about psychiatrists they had used. And, you know, that level of normalizing is what I needed to be brave enough to be on medication. Do you think that you were resistant to it before because somehow it made you feel deficient in your worth? Totally. Totally. I don't know. It's so funny. Like, when I spoke to the psychiatrist, like, I was such a mess. I was just so unwell. And thank God he was incredible. I recommend him to everyone. (laughs) And he said to me, in six weeks, you're going to be the least anxious you've ever felt in your life. And I was crying. And I said, like, I don't believe you, but thanks for saying that. And six weeks later, I texted him and I said, I never thought I could be like this relaxed and I don't feel numb. And, you know, this, the medicine I'm on makes you gain weight. And I said, I'm really fat and I'm really happy. (laughs) That's a really great way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, Fat and happy. And just for the record, I, you know, some medications, I think the ones that work really well on that work for a majority of the population because it is a lot of trial and error for people. Exactly. Uh, you know, genetically different people metabolize different medications better than others. And, you know, some some of these medications that make you gain weight, they're kind of the first go-tos because they're so effective among a lot of people. But for people that are resisting just because of that one reason, there are medications you can go on that will not make you gain weight as well. A hundred percent. I think that you're so smart to prioritize one over the other. Yeah. If down the line, I'm in a place where I'm ready to shift medications to something that's, you know, this one says you will gain weight. Most of them don't, right? They have other side effects. Then I will. But right now, just like being this happy mom that sleeps well and just like can be in my life and not in thinking about my life. It's just worth anything to me. I'm so honestly so grateful to talk about this. It's the first time I've spoken about it and it just feels so good. And I'm actually surprised at how positive my experience was. Like I thought I would feel more negative about it. But I think, you know, having him now, he's five five and a half months old. We just sleep trained him. It's like life changer. His name's Love Matanya. He was born on Shavuos. I wanted to name him Torah. My husband said no. <laughs> you know that, have you ever heard of the name Sinai? There's a name Sinai Exactly. Too. I wanted to name him Sinai, but there was another little boy named Sinai like the week before. So, oh. <laughs> so we, we chose love and it's perfect. He's super adin and sweet and smiley. Oh, that's so, so nice. I didn't have what you have with my first, my second, where I was living in a, you know, a city with broken up, fragmented neighbors. And I didn't have that beautiful support. And I see my neighbors who have, are having their first and second little babies and they have that support and they're in and out of each other's houses and helping out. And It is priceless. It is priceless to have those social supports. It's totally transformational for your postpartum and and life experience. And I think like 
birth is so important and I focused a lot on birth and you know it's whatever it's maximum three days four days and so that that postpartum that lasts for months is like equally important and so important to invest time in it and I think you know all the work we do as people serves us as moms so the work I did as a person to learn how to prioritize my needs and take care of myself was so valuable as a mom right like and you know I I'm a big advocate everyone's their own should do their thing but like we waited four years so my husband and I have a huge amount of skills and a huge amount of like relational strength that really shined during a time when we needed that strength when I was anxious every day and a mess and healing and yeah it's so beautiful to hear that things are so nice now and you really had a lot of uh you you really had a lot of wrenches thrown into this whole entire journey of becoming yeah. a mother to have from the start of your pregnancy oh my god yes yes it was very intense and hard and I'm at the sweet spot now where I've got childcare and he's sleep trained and it's just a lot more enjoyable for me. And I think initially there was a lot of shame in admitting that I didn't really like the newborn period. And, you know, even before I had a baby, I told my sister, I know I won't like the newborn period. Like I love kids. I love a 13 year old girl. Like everybody else hates that stage. I love it. But like this little blob that didn't have much interactivity and didn't have much sleep regularity was very hard. I always said, like, Lev, you're so anxiously attached. Like, you're not really respecting my boundaries. Like, my little <laughs> newborn. <laughs> and now we're starting to build some structure to life, which feels great. So for any po- new postpartum moms, it's about to get much easier. Yes. It's so important for people to know that. I also had a hard time. I, I didn't realize when my first was a newborn that this will pass. It was kind of, I was so entrenched in the day-to-day, minute-to-minute tasks that I had to get through. And like you said, one day she was just sleeping 12 hours and taking two naps in the middle of the day. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can resume life a lot and be happy and enjoy it. Yes, yes. And some people love the newborn stage and some people are totally fine with the whole attachment parenting thing and have their kid velcro to them and power to them and i was never like that and i own it like i'm like that's that's me and and you seem to also so yes i'm so happy to hear that you're in this good place i did see snippets of your story and i didn't know the details of your birth story until now but i did see snippets of you telling us how it was difficult and you had a lot of difficult experiences and I didn't know if it was emotional if it was physical mm-hmm. um and I'm so happy that you're in such a good beautiful mommy spot it's it's so priceless it's so priceless and I'm really grateful like I I really haven't shared this and I think it's just a testament to you as a person and the safety that people feel with you that like, you know, I just spent 50 minutes sharing about my birth story that that really I thought was an area that I didn't ever wanted to revisit because it was so heavy. And so I'm just so grateful for the space to just chat about it. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. That's so beautiful to hear. And and and, you know, I hope that this gives you some form of 
helps transform your trauma into purpose yeah. where you're you can be vehicle to help other people and to give them that last push to go get help to go to a psychiatrist to go to a therapist because yes. this is so common it's so common and i see so many women struggling so much with anxiety and i you know i want to like offer this to them but obviously everyone has their journey and what you just said is like the greatest summary of like if my birth had a name it would be turning trauma into resilience or turning trauma into purpose and you know just being on the other side and revisiting her and going to tell her it gets better you get through it he starts sleeping your body heals your mind heals i take care of you i take care of you over and over again is so healing to go revisit that scared postpartum mama and tell her that like it did get better and I'm here and we made it. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you so I much. I love so you. Far. Oh, stop. So Thank nice. you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. It really gives me the encouragement to to keep doing this when I hear people like you, you know, benefit and I hear people like you brave enough to tell your story. It's not easy and it's it's so beautiful and it's so important for other mothers to hear and mothers to be and those planning on becoming a mother. Yes. So or, or those that have not had this experience themselves, and this is important, but have family or friends that are experiencing this and to know that it's it's essential to validate their experience and yeah. never to discount that this is real they really are feeling this way and suffering i think that the support like you got being able to someone who's struggling being able to receive that support from friends and family is probably also a huge important component to healing yes yes oh my gosh it's such a nice it's such a nice like I'll just end with one idea that's probably a little controversial, but I thought it was incredible. Coming from this world of like, the holiest birth is a home birth. Um, and if that's your birth, then that's wonderful. But after the birth, I shared a tiny bit with a friend. Blonde hair, wears glasses, has like five kids. And she's just a real talker. And I told her that, you know, I always thought that getting an epidural was like really bad and really a failure. And she said that the most empowering births that she had had were epidural births. And that while many people feel really empowered by home births, for her, she felt like it was a gift and a sign that Mashiach is coming, that epidurals exist. Because the sin of Chava is what mm -hmm. we like suffer for. And she's like, hey, we have a way to reduce that pain. So what bigger sign that the future is female and Mashiach is coming than that we can have, you know, somewhat pain-free childbirths yes and you know who i heard that uh idea from have are you familiar with Robinson sapora heller oh my gosh i love her but I, I it's not where i heard it from well I, I mean again just like the mama bear syndrome i'm sure that you know there are other brilliant minds like hers but that's what she says in the same way with you know yeah. adam's fate and and we're not gonna make our we're not going to make our earning Parnassa harder than we have to. The same way, if somebody wants an epidural, they don't have to suffer more 
than they need to. And it's so beautiful that we have that option. And I think even more beautiful that women can choose. Yes. That women are not forced into one way or another because that used to be it before there was any before there were any options of analgesia and anesthesia, then they just had to get through the birth. And at, at one point when there were options for it, women were forced to take them. They didn't have a choice. They went to the hospital and the doctors just put it on them. Yeah. So it's, they were just told that this is what you have to do. And today it's so beautiful that people have that option and have that choice. And that's empowering in and of itself. So that's beautiful. I don't think that's controversial one bit. I think that's, yeah. I think that's such a lovely, beautiful I thought. Love it. It's such a like de-shaming of epidural. Like this is from Hashem. Like he's reducing the hit. Like it's incredible. It is. It really is. Yes. Thank you again, Simcha. I wanted to just one more time let our audience know that they can find you on Gentle Jew. It's at Gentle Jew on Instagram. I will put the link in the episode show notes. And um, anyone who can relate to the things that you've said would certainly stand to gain from following you on Instagram if you have Instagram. And um, thanks again, Simcha. Yeah, and thank you for just your wisdom and your expertise and holding so much space for me. It's a pleasure. It's an honor. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into the Happy Birthway Podcast. Head over to Yolwedit Academy on Instagram to continue the conversation. You'll find the link in the episode show notes as well as links to any additional resources, products, and services mentioned here. If you love listening to this show, you can help it grow by sharing it with your friends and rating and reviewing it. To stay in the loop when new episodes are released, make sure to subscribe. Remember that your health needs are unique and require individualized medical advice. The podcast is not a replacement, and some of the information may not be appropriate for your specific circumstances. My mission is to educate you so that you can confidently collaborate with your healthcare team. I believe that a healthy mom and healthy baby are simply not enough. We also need a happy mom with an empowering birth experience. 